Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, listeners, and welcome to the latest installment of MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. I'm Brian Shaw, corporate partner in MBM's London office, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Caroline Urban. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Brian. Hello, everyone. As a friendly reminder to our listeners what to expect on these podcasts, on each and every episode, we will catch up with former clients whom we've helped buy and sell businesses and other specialists in the M&A field who can share their insights and provide our listeners with hints and tips on the M&A process. The idea is that it's a short 15 to 20 minute podcast that's fun and informative that you can listen to on the go or while you're sipping your morning tea or munching on your afternoon snack. Speaking of which, what are you snacking on today, Caroline? I thought I'd kickstart the week with an energy bar, so I'm snacking on a flapjack today. Nice. Had a long weekend, was it? (laughs) <laughs> a little bit need that energy well as we are as i've mentioned we are recording this on a monday morning i, I also had a a bit of a big weekend so um i'm trying to detox um so i'm having i'm munching on my uh my ravita with with some hummus so mm. good carbs good protein good way to start the week anyway on with the show It is with much privilege that we are joined today by Neil Norman, a senior tax partner at Sheen and Tate, one of the most respected accounting firms in Scotland. MBM have worked closely with Sheen and Tate over many years now, in particular on countless M&A deals. Sheen and Tate have technical experts across tax, audit, accounts, corporate finance and business advisory in multiple sectors. Whilst primarily based in Scotland, Shin and Tate also have an office in London for those clients south of the border. Caroline, would you like to tell the listeners a little more about Neil? Absolutely. Neil co-leads the Shin and Tate tax department. He specializes in corporate and entrepreneurial work, working with clients on tax planning and tax reliefs, claims including the Enterprise Investment Scheme, the Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, share schemes, research and development tax relief, and company disposals. Neil also leads Sheen and Tate's award-winning entrepreneurial team. He and his team work closely with startups and scale-ups, spin-outs, business accelerators, life science organizations, angel investor networks, and entrepreneurs across the UK to help businesses grow and scale. Neil, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Before we start, Neil, as we mentioned earlier and is customary on our show, uh, will you tell us what Scottish delicacy you are snacking on today? Sure. Well, there can only be only one haggis. <laughs> nice. With a nice single malt, I'm sure, on the other hand. <laughs> well, it's Monday morning, so <laughs> I'll maybe wait for lunch for that. <laughs> so, Neil, on to the, the more serious part of the show today. Um, you know, what, what I'm interested in is the Neil Norman journey. You know, where did it all begin and, and how did you end up being a senior partner at Sheen and Tate? The Neil Norman journey. How grandiose is that? <laughs> I, I feel like I should tell you I put all my possessions in a tea towel, wrapped it around a stick and walked to London like Dick Whittington. Um, so uh, how did it really happen? Uh, well, I had a, a little bit of an un, un, unorthodox route. Straight from school, I joined John Lewis for five years on a management training program. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was a bit different. Um, I made hundreds of mistakes, as you do when you're a 19-year-old. Uh, managing people three to four times your age, but it was good. You know, I learned how to sell, how to serve clients, deal with complaints, manage teams. And if you can do that, you, you know, I think you can take skills anywhere. 
Um, then I went to university. So after five years, I went there, I got a graduate position after, after finishing school. And I joined a small firm, uh, which was excellent experience for me because in addition to the day job, I got access to clients, the ilk of which my uh, peers did not. I found myself more than once around someone's kitchen table setting up their business. Um, building strategies as a trainee on how to sell a business was you know, invaluable. From there, a few years in the big four, the less said the better, and then we move on to Sheen and Tate. 2012, I, I joined Sheen and Tate um, as a manager. I was very fortunate to be blessed by an extremely supportive group of partners because th this entrepreneurial role opened up very quickly. Well, there was no such thing as entrepreneurial tax then. The stuff we do did exist, but no one had ever really pulled it together as a single package. So we honestly made up the name entrepreneurial tax walking into a meeting one day. But it was positive. Things started to happen. And within three years, I was a partner. And then spent the next five years really building our offering, building an excellent team. I've got an extraordinary team. And then last year, as you noted, I became senior tax partner. So now I co-lead a team of about 50. Five zero. Wow. Yeah. That's, a, that's a lot of growth. That's really impressive. Hmm. To, to be clear, the, uh, uh, the, the 50 people across all our tax, um, we have 10 in entrepreneurial tax, but that's mm -hmm. still, you know, still the largest entrepreneurial tax team that I'm aware of. But we have 50 across all taxes, which is a sizable tax team. And mm -hmm. I, I like to think that it's, you know, it's, it's large enough we can cover most things and small enough we can do it agile. It, it surprised me. I didn't realize it was so big. So. No, I didn't either. But I know you, um, you're sort of divided into different branches of, of tax specialisms. Yeah. Um, so looking at the, the, the first sort of branch, which is on, on the M&A side, can you tell us about some common tax issues that arise on M&A deals? Every deal is different, of course, but there's stuff that pops up every time. The companies I tend to help buy or sell tend to be in the entrepreneurial space. We're talking high growth companies. High growth companies tend to, by their very nature, have grown very quickly and maybe haven't paid enough attention to the compliance matters as they've grown. So we'll discover in the course of a transaction that they think they're resident in the UK and they're actually resident in more than one country. And all of a sudden we have to, we have to fix something. Um, the most common case in that, unfortunately, is the US, where if you find yourself US tax resident and you're trading across the US, you could have you could have the requirement to file in 50 states and multiple cities. So it can become a big issue. Um, share options trigger very large corporation tax benefits um, when they're exercised. So a common theme in M&A is who's getting the benefit of that, mm. while the buyers um, make out like they're not that interested and therefore don't want to pay for. The sellers say, well, of course you're interested and you should be paying for those losses. And mm. in the very least, giving us a shield against other things that you might come back on. Other points, uh, often you'll have a group of companies that's maybe got a subsidiary that's the target uh, in an acquisition. If there hasn't been enough pre-deal structuring undertaken, then potentially the investors in the top co get a nasty surprise when they realize that they're not actually about to get a cash windfall. The company they own is, but that company is then going to be sitting on a pile of cash. And so we have to think about how we're going to get that money out for them. Mm. The final one that I see on almost every deal is there are or there have been non-exec directors they've not been put through PYE they think it's fine to be uh, self-employed or use personal service companies and it usually isn't so this comes up again and again and again mm -hmm. so there you go four common issues 
And I suppose we've already mentioned, yeah, you, you advise entrepreneurs regularly. That's, that's probably your, your main uh, specialty. Yeah. So, you know, what should entrepreneurs uh, who are looking to sell their business say in the next 12, 24 months be mindful of from a tax perspective? Yeah, well, entrepreneurs relief is key. And for any listeners that don't know, entrepreneurs relief is a 10% capital gains tax rate rather than 20. Unfortunately, that was reduced from 10 million to 1 million pound threshold in the, the last budget. Um, so the, the, the scope for a claim of entrepreneurs relief for the entrepreneur themselves is you know, somewhat limited. But it is very much still there where share schemes are concerned. Uh, if an individual gets their shares through an EMI scheme mm-hmm. and they're a qualifying individual, they should still qualify. And most of the time, someone getting their shares through an EMI scheme won't get above a million pounds. You know, they might do well and get a few hundred thousand, but they should still, therefore, because they're under a million, get entrepreneurially for full. So that's, that's that. So looking at other points, very commonly, there'll be someone with unapproved share options. Mm-hmm. So they've not been EMI qualifying, typically a non-exec director. They're going to be in line for a PAYE charge. And a piece of planning that maybe should be looked at is you know, if, if we get to a few days before the deal and someone's holding share options, they are going to get a PAYE charge in full on the value of the shares. But if we know months out, it is likely that, that there's going to be a deal, but it's not certain. Well, the shares that they, they're going to get when they exercise their share options will be worth less, more likely than not, than they will five minutes before a deal. So by exercising early, potentially, they can reduce the amount of subject to PYE, increase the amount of subject to capital gains tax, and get their overall charge down. Another thing would be looking at if the individuals holding shares are married, or they're in a civil partnership, potentially, there might be scope to exchange some shares into the hands of their spouse and um, get their overall tax rate down again, fairly common. The most important thing leading into M&A, if if we're looking sell side, the most important thing is that the company is ready for the sale. Rather than considering the individual, is the company ready? And therefore, I strongly advocate undertaking some element of vendor due diligence. So so in the course of an M&A deal, the purchaser will definitely bring somebody along to the party, typically an accountancy firm, to undertake due diligence on the, on, on, on the target company. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to stop the target company well in advance of that, of having undertaken their own due diligence exercise. Find out, are there any ghosts in the closet? Because you better believe they're going to be found. Mm-hmm. So it's better to have dealt with them early, taken remedial action as required, spoken to HMRC if needed. So we get to a stage where when the M&A does kick off and that due diligence does kick off in earnest, any issues can be disclosed as we, ha- we knew this was an issue. We've done X, Y, Z to fix it. Mm. And any other issues will have already been addressed. So it means that ultimately the purchaser will have more confidence and be far less likely to price chip. How many of your clients do actually come to you and do that sort of prep work? I don't think many know to unless they've been advised to. Mm. So you know, with our clients, we make a point of speaking to all our clients regularly. And in the course of those discussions, if there's likely to be any M&A activity in the short to medium term, well, then we can be making recommendations. I can play in our corporate finance team who can suggest what level of due diligence should be undertaken, how, how and when the company will be ready, 
and how and when they should take the company to market. Tax due diligence forms part of that. So it's about advising your clients properly, isn't it? It's, and that's what we try to do. Because yeah. we're, we're trying to help come, we're trying to help our clients get from typically university spin out or maybe first investment round through the various cycles to the end. And the end will be, if it's successful, an exit. Speaking of, your firm has worked with uh, MBM for a number of years on various different M&A deals. Yeah. Can you uh, tell us about some of the more interesting deals that you've worked on? Well, the first one that comes to mind is we, we worked together where a UK business was almost acquired by a very large, well-known name. In the, the course of undertaking that transaction, it was discovered that an EMI scheme that had been put into place by previous advisors was uh, not going to cold water was going to be disqualified in the course of. So here's a classic case of when you do due diligence. Mm. So we're able to put that right. That meant that the tens of staff with EMI options would have gotten themselves into a 10 or 20% capital gains tax rate rather than a 55% rate that they would have faced otherwise, mm. which would have been a very nasty surprise. But I, I guess for me, um, although M&A is... It's, it's always the end game. It's always the target in high growth businesses. The real fun for me is working alongside you as, as a client spun out of university, helping structure that properly. Then they take their first funding round structuring that. Yeah, they, they will invariably spend that money hiring staff to undertake IP development. So there's share schemes, there's R&D claims. If they're going to run out of money, there's another investment round. And so it goes, and so it goes. Then at some stage, they'll probably restructure. They may need to refinance. And then you're getting them ready for the sale. And so when, once you've done five to 10 years with a client, you've worked side by side, um, as we have on several occasions. Yeah, it's great when you get to the finishing line. The, the sense of relief, I think, not just for the principals, but also <laughs> for the advisors. Can you give any advice to our listeners who are looking to sell or buy a business in the next 12 months? And maybe just, just before you answer that, it would be interesting to hear your, um, your experience in the last six months. What's happened in the M&A world from what you've seen? Because it's been, well, a roller coaster, to say the least. It certainly has. Um, so COVID struck. And March, April, M&A was still buoyant. Going like a train, most of those deals had started before lockdown had commenced and companies wanted to, to get the deals done. So March, April time was good. Since then, what have I seen? A notable drop off in M&A activity. Mm. But where there's been purchasers, those purchasers have tended to be out in the market looking for bargains. Valuations have, have certainly fallen, much to the disappointment of, of some sellers, but that's, you know, that's the reality. Uncertainty breeds risk. Risk needs countered with a reduction in price. Yeah. So we've seen, we've seen lots of buyers circling, commonly looking for a bargain. And then besides that, there has been a sort of a regular level of, of M&A activity still happening, where purchasers have said, oh, this is a target that we've had in mind for a long time. We are, still, we are still in the market for them. We, we know we need them. And we know one, one day we're coming out of COVID. So we're going to do it anyway. So what, what would I say for the, over the next 12 months? Um, it, by side, I would say there are some bargains out there. And they're going to be. With the, the removal of government aids, particularly furlough, we're going to start seeing companies falling over. There's mm. going to be a lot of distressed M&A. 
and there are some real bargains to be had. So for buyers, particularly buyers with money, there's some real opportunities. My advice would be, you know, speak to your advisors and start sniffing out the opportunities because they are coming. Mm-hmm. For sellers, if it's a distress sale, it's a distress sale. You know, if you're a seller and there's a distress sale to be had, then it's probably imperative. But if you're not in a position where you need to sell, then you know, my first piece of advice would be, it's probably not the right time. And I say that as somebody who makes fees when it is the right time, but it's probably not the right time because most buyers out there at the moment that I'm seeing at least are relatively opportunistic, but it is the right time to get your house in order. If I was speaking to a client and they were minded to sell in the next 12 months, I might ask, does it need to be 12? Could it be 24? Can we spend the next 12 getting your house in order, making sure you've got the right people in the right roles that we've undertaken the due diligence, that we've reported issues to HMRC and cleared them up. We've done all the things that we want to do to get this company absolutely ship shape so that we can get your multiples up and we can get your earnings up and we can get you a better price. And would, um, would you say that, so a business that is in good nick, is there um, the chance that there are several buyers looking at it and they actually might get a pretty competitive price? Yeah, definitely. There are lots and lots of funds, private equity, venture capital, Mm. that have money to deploy. And the right business in the right sector, in the right shape, actually might find itself in the middle of of a bidding war. Mm. Fund managers make their money when the the funds are deployed, not when Mm. they're sitting on them. Yeah. So there are definitely deals for the right company to be done. They should come and speak to us. Yeah, <laughs> and to us. Yeah, uh, indeed. Well, well, thank you, Neil. Um, very insightful uh, thoughts um, today. But before we end the podcast, we just have enough time for our what we call our rapid-fire round. You'll have 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can in that time. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Go ahead. So, Neil, in one word or phrase only. On your mark. Get set. What was your first job? John Lewis. Favorite holiday destination? Italy. If you were having a dinner party and could invite three guests, alive, dead, or fictional, who would you invite and why? Wow. Uh, Barack Obama, my favorite lifetime president. Um, Stephen Hawking. Genius, Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm. Let's bring religion, science, and politics together. <laughs> Favorite movie? The Godfather. What are you currently reading? I'm reading a book about GCHQ. If Richard Branson sat next to you on a flight, what would be your first question other than, are you Richard Branson? Lend us a fiver. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, if you could travel back in time to meet your 10-year-old self, what advice would you give him? Do things right. Integrity counts for everything. Very wise indeed. Neil, thank you for your time and participating in MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
That's it for today. Thank you for joining us in our informative conversation with Neil Norman, Senior Tax Partner at Sheen and Tate. Join us next time when Brian and I will be joined by another special guest and we will chat and snack all things M&A. Goodbye, all. Goodbye.